last Saturday at 10 o'clock a.m., Costco opened <laughs> in the city of Lincoln. This might seem an odd place to start a sermon, but we are talking this month about abundance. <laughs> so stick with me. Because Costco has a special place in Stacy and my marriage. There's no other place where we can feel decent about a store paying its workers a living wage and get cereal and garlic in bulk and toilet paper in rolls by the hundreds. <laughs> Costco is a wholesaler, and it's a wholesaler with this fascinating model. They build these huge cavernous warehouses of stores, charge a fee to come into them, and then they don't label any of the aisles. This is true. The, the president of Costco has said that this is so folks who are members feel that they are in on some kind of secret <laughs> when they know exactly what aisle to go to to get the two pounds of bulk chopped garlic. <laughs> For Stacy and I in New York, going to Costco was an experience. Our day-to-day -day grocery shopping involved a, a bodega on the corner of our block where you could get, let's say that the quality control in the, in the vegetable aisle was occasionally lacking. <laughs> and so you could get <laughs> this sad lettuce for the one night and carry it up to our apartment. But on very special weekends, we could drive to Yonkers and go to Costco. The trip to Costco and Yonkers was an experience that took a whole afternoon and ended with us restocked with fresh vegetables, fruit, guacamole that would last for several weeks. It is probably a commentary on our lives together that we celebrated my 31st birthday by going to Costco and renewing our membership. <laughs> Anecdotes you never thought you'd tell in a sermon. <laughs> so when we were thinking of moving to Lincoln, we looked up if there would be a Costco here, and no, there wasn't. But there was one opening in October. This was before I came out to interview. We were already checking then, so this was one more sign. <laughs> but there is no place in the world, to me, that is more emblematic of, of this idea of material abundance and what it looks like than the checkout lines of a brand new Costco. It is what George Richner describes in his book, Enchanting a Disenchanted World, a Cathedral of Consumption. So we're talking about abundance this month. November ends with Thanksgiving. The holiday season starts. So it might be useful to think of the next few weeks as a primer for all that the season brings, for good and ill. We'll be talking about what a mindset of abundance looks like next week, how it relates to this idea of scarcity in our lives. At our Thanksgiving family service, we'll spend time listening to music, singing together, giving thanks for all that we have in this place. We'll be asking what it means to be a people of abundance whether and in what ways we are a people of abundance. And what do we do with that? But before we go there, 
I want to spend this week on this other side of abundance, this idea of life coming at us in bulk, the reading this morning described. What do we do when it feels like life is getting shipped to us in bulk? How do we manage when it feels like we need a Costco-sized 96-roll thing of toilet paper to clean up all the mess? Because most of us have some form of this, right? I can look back at the, the first six months of 2013. I was in seminary dating Stacy. Things were pretty good. It's a pretty, it's a lovely six months, but not one that I remember carefully. The last half of 2010, everything in the world happened at once. There's a, a tool we're taught in seminary called the Holmes-Ray scale. Anybody know this? I actually don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I was taught Holmes-Ray, but I wasn't sure, so I looked it up on Google and found four different pronunciations. <laughs> so I'm sure, I'm sure the psychiatrists in the audience will tell me <laughs> at coffee hour. But the official name is the Social Readjustment Rating Scale. And that sounds a little terrifying, so we usually don't call it that. Holmes-Ray were two American psychologists in the 20th century, and they, they researched the relationship between stress and physical health. They developed a list of 43 life events, assigned each of them a score from 11 to 100. And then they asked patients to list all the major life events that had happened to them in the last six months and added up the scores. And they discovered that when folks reached between about 150 and 300 points, they were at a statistically elevated risk of physical illnesses related to stress. Everything from hypertension to a lowered immune system that leads to the flu. You could see in people's bodies the effect of the stress that they were under. When you get above 300 points, that risk of physical illness jumps up another 30%. So here's some of the life events and their scores. The death of a spouse, 100 points. Change to a different line of work, 36 points. Marriage, 50 points. Change in financial state, 38 points. Major illness, 53 points. You notice anything about those scores? This isn't a rhetorical question. If you notice anything, shout it out. <laughs> They're big. That was not my 2010. <laughs> no, no, my spouse did not die in 2010. <laughs> They're uneven. Right. The scale doesn't make a distinction between positive life events and negative life events. Marriage is a higher point score than a major illness. A financial windfall is a higher point score than the birth of a child or another major illness. So if you, in a six-month period, get married, have a financial windfall, maybe you hit the lottery, retire and go on a cruise for a week and then move to Hawaii, 
you're at 176 points. You are at statistically significant risk of a stress-related medical condition. So this question of life having happening in bulk is not an abstract one. Occasionally, life is like this. 2017 nationally has felt like this. Maybe it's social media, maybe it's the world we live in, but ever since somewhere around February of 2016, it has felt like the pace of major collective events is accelerating. John McCain giving that thumbs down on a healthcare vote, that was three months ago. Three months ago. It was two days before I started here. Since then, I can name six or seven major collective events that we would be talking about 10 years from now as the thing that happened in the fall of 2017. We've talked about Charlottesville, another repeal bill, tax reform, possible war in North Korea. For, for some unexplicable reason, uh, whether cheese goes on the bottom or top of a hamburger, <laughs> this was a major national conversation for about six hours. But leaving aside the national conversation for a minute, let's talk about this congregation. Over the last two days, I've been meeting with staff, the board, the program council in a facilitated retreat by the UUA Mid-America region. One of the things that they do is every time that there's a new minister called to a congregation, they, they have a retreat to talk through who the congregation is, where they've been, where they want to go, who this new minister is, how they will relate to each other. It's facilitated by a staff member at the UUA, and it is a valuable exercise to go through. I read the, this congregation's history before I interviewed here. I read it again before I came out here. I read it again. I read every piece of paper I could get my hands on in the two months between when you called me and when I showed up in the office. And reading is different than hearing. So let's review, briefly, this congregation's history since 2014, three years. The congregation completed a major capital campaign. The minister who had been here 17 years retired. The congregation moved out of the building that they had been in for 50 years while construction started on a major renovation. An interim minister came. There was significant conflict over his ministry. He was not extended a second year. You moved back into this beautifully renovated space. You got a second interim minister. You came up with a new mission, vision, covenant of right relations, and governance model. Pledges were received to cover the last of the borrowed funds from the renovation. Two long-term, well-loved staff members left their positions, and two new staff members started. 
you went through a ministerial search and did not find somebody in the first round. Your minister emeritus, whose time as minister and member spans half a century, died. In the second round, over the course of five weeks, you interviewed, candidated, and called a young minister from Long Island who showed up here just as the previous intern was taking her leave. If there was a Holmes Ray scale for congregations, <laughs> this would be like a 250 at least, at least. That's a tremendous amount of change and stress on a system. I want to hold that this morning and say that I see it. We're all, once we're adults, pretty good at dealing with one crisis at a time. I mean crisis in the medical sense. When I was working as a, as a chaplain, I learned that crisis is not necessarily bad. Crisis is the moment in an acute illness where you do that. Um, the moment in an acute illness where things either get better or worse very rapidly. It might be a fever breaking. It might be an organ system shutting down. Both are crises. So we can handle one crisis at a time. We, we learn strategies of resilience, how to drop the day-to-day -day stuff and go into crisis mode. What not many of us are very good at is the third consecutive crisis. When life comes in Costco boxes instead of manageable bodega trips. And so many of our systems are set up for multiple crises. On a, a personal level, a health challenge can trigger financial stress, making it hard to keep up with car payments, which hurts your employment opportunities. For a congregation, retirement leads to interim, which leads to changes in the congregational system, intentionally or not, leads to a new minister, who first probably does things a little differently than you've done before, and second, doesn't necessarily know how things have been done. So where do we go? There are two pieces that help me in moments when life shows up at the door in bulk. The first is a plaque right next to my door in the office. I look at it every time I walk out into the church. It's a prayer, most of you probably know it. Grant me the courage to change what I can, the serenity to accept what I cannot, and the wisdom to know the difference. Reinhold Niebuhr wrote the, the serenity prayer, which is a version of a much older Stoic saying for soldiers landing in France during the Second World War. In the last century, it's been adopted as an unofficial motto of 12-step programs. But there is a deep wisdom in it, in the, in the lesson of learning what it is that we must focus on and what it is we can let go. The things that are beyond our control and the need to focus on one thing at a time, whatever's right in front of us in the moment. 
This is really hard. I come from a family where just about all of us have at one point or another been diagnosed with some kind of anxiety disorder. And whether it reaches clinical diagnosis or not, the, the pernicious thing about anxiety is how it catches us in a loop where we get stuck obsessing about things that are beyond our control. If I didn't pay attention to myself, glance at that plaque three or four times every day as I walk out into the congregation, I would spend hours obsessing over crises that, if I'm honest, are not mine. The wisdom to know the difference is hard won, and it is a continual process. But it is the most precious wisdom I know in this life. The last and most important thing when life is in bulk is simply to be gentle with each other. I wanted to name and honor what this congregation has gone through in the last few years, not, not to relive it, but to say that I see you. And more than that, I see us. I chose to come here. You chose to call me. We are tied together for the foreseeable future. And I hope that there will be some years when we look back and say, oh, the spring of 2021, yeah, we did good ministry. Our budget process was smooth. <laughs> we were involved in Lincoln. That, that was about it. <laughs> those years won't be every year. This isn't one of those years. I will remember 2017 for the rest of my life. I hope that in easy years and in hard years, that we can be gentle with each other, lean on each other if we have to. This chalice, where we put candles of joy and concern every week, <coughs> is made up of molds of hands, of members of this congregation holding up the joys and sorrows of this community. That can be a model for us, I think. I don't usually say it sounds like life is coming at you in bulk in pastoral care visits. That's not me. Here's what I do say. Life is hard enough on our own. That's why we have each other. May it be so. And amen.